over the Pastor Jerry for two weeks just knocked it out of the park. And then last week, I, I, my goal is to try to make it as simple as I can because, man, I just don't want anybody to miss out on anything that God has for them. And I know this for years, I've lived my walk with the Lord and you think you got it all, you know it all, but then all of a sudden God reveals something to you and you think, man, I've been missing out on this my whole life and then trying to, it's, it's, God's always revealing new and I love that, but right now as our church going into October, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to put an emphasis on the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is. By saying that, all of a sudden I probably lost half the crowd in here. They're like, oh no, the Holy Spirit. But um, I want you to know, there's nothing bad, weird, or scary about the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it like this. As a matter of fact, He says, It's better for you that I go so that I can send to you the Comforter. And so, just by a show of hands, not picking on anybody because this is not church attendance. I just need to... Um, people's work schedules and things shift and schedules change. But So I'm going to take a few minutes to recap because of this. How many of you guys were not here last week? Raise your hand. See, and that's about 50% of our crowd. So those that were here, I want you to bear with me for a minute because we're going to recap because I'm going to get into some what a lot of people think today as being one of the weirder sides of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be touching on the topic of speaking in tongues because I believe that as a church we need to be aware and know and not be freaked out or uh, you know weirded out by this. But I'm going to recap just a minute and go back to the beginning, if that's okay, and we'll just go through things very quickly. Is that good with you guys? All right. All right, well, we started last week talking about who the Holy Spirit is. You know, the Bible says that, that there is one God, but the principles of God is that He is a trinity. The God is a trinity. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, that's kind of hard to wrap your mind around if you don't have a church history or growth. But kind of the easiest way for me to wrap my mind around it, you know, when I was growing up, people thought it was like an egg. You know, the outside of the egg is the shell, the inside of the egg is the white, and then there's the yolk. But that's weird because, uh, you know, you can separate those apart. And so I can eat an all-egg white omelet if I want to. And the truth is... Uh, that is, that's kind of more of a representation of who we are. I am a body. I mean, I have a body. I am a spirit, but I have a mind. That's, the egg illustration always kind of showed me, you know, the way God made us. Another illustration that was always used was water. All right? You can take water, and water has three different forms. There is water liquid, water ice, which is solid, and water steam, which is gas. They're all three water, but they're three different. But the different thing about that was this. That's just the same thing changing a little bit. And so that doesn't really draw a good picture of the Trinity or the Godhead to me. You say, well, Cricket, how, what do you mean by there being more than one God? Well, the Bible says that when in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form. So the process of creation began in Genesis. But then it says this. He said, on the sixth day, he said, let us make man in our image bringing into the idea there's more than one. And even in the story of creation, the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was void and without form. Darkness covered the face of the earth. And God said, let there be. But it also said right before that the Spirit of God was moving across the face of the deep. So even in Genesis 1, it points to the Trinity of God. God the Father who was speaking. Jesus, who is, the Bible says in John 1, is the Word. Alright, so there's the representation of Jesus. And then the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness. So there's the, there's the picture. So what is the best way for me to describe, the, for me to get it mentally in my picture? I don't know about you guys, but I have to get it in my head sometimes, the things I've gotten. It's like this, you know, my name is Jonathan Abels. And me and Jennifer got married. When we got married, it, we became the Abels. Alright? But we were a couple at that point. But so there we were. We were a couple. We were plural. But when we had our first child, we became a family. And now we were the Abel's family. Now, it didn't matter what you thought, what you wanted. You could not take 
my kid away from me because that was my family. I mean, you could take her, but you couldn't disconnect her from being the family. It's, to me, that's the best picture of the Godhead is it's a family. We were the Abel's family, one family, but yet there were three of us in there. Now there's five of us. And I've got a cat that just had kittens, which multiplied, and Jennifer thinks animals are family too. So now I have seven kittens and two cats. Alright, so then we multiplied there. But then I just had a dog that had puppies. And so our dog just had four puppies. And so we're not griping because they're French bulldogs and we sell them. So praise the Lord. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good addition to have. But in other words, my family continued to grow. And that's like the family of God. There was the family of God. God the Father, God the Son, the God the Holy Ghost. But then he began to minister and touch into your lives and the family of God. We are children of God. And so the family of God, so I don't know if that helps anybody with you, but the Trinity thing used to just kind of trip me out because, you know, how can there be one God but yet be three heads and the Trinity concept and there's always the argument of the Trinity. Another great place in the New Testament where it's seen is when Jesus was being baptized. When Jesus was being baptized, the Bible says that the Father was in heaven and a voice came out from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So God was in heaven. They heard His voice. The Son was going under the water and coming up. But then it says the Holy Spirit ascended on Him like a dove. A perfect picture. You can see all three Godheads involved in one. And so, you know, sometimes it's just kind of hard to wrap our minds around things. So I see it as the family. And each family, I've got to be honest with you, there's not a more important member in my family than each member. I would not sell a single one of my daughters to anybody for any price. And it's, so in that concept, each one of the Godheads, each have their own, Jennifer has, in our family, has certain roles she plays. She takes care of the money. That's why I have money. All right? If I took care of the money, we would all be in trouble. Because before I had Jennifer in my life, you know, I made a lot of money, but I had no money. And when I got married with Jennifer, we took a step back in careers, and I didn't make a lot of money, but I had a lot of money. Because that's, that's, that's who she is. She handles the money in her family. And my girls, they handle making the messes. All right? So there's nobody in our family that can make a mess like my little girls. And then my job is to what I do what I do, aggravate them all. But we all have individual roles. And just like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit... Each one have their own individual roles. And each one are so important and so intricate to be us becoming who we are that I just want you to fully understand. Because the way the Lord started laying it on my heart was this. Before God, in the book of Acts, before God could do a move in the church like He wanted to, the Bible says he was first, Jesus left, and he sent the Holy Spirit. Paul makes reference in 1 Corinthians that there were 500 present after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. But Jesus told them all to go to Jerusalem and wait because I'm going to send to you the Comforter or the Paraclete or the Counselor or the Teacher, the Holy Spirit. And he says, go to Jerusalem and wait. And out of the 500, only 120 went. And so, you know, why, anything that Jesus has ever offered me that I accepted, it bettered my life. He offered me salvation and it bettered my life. It erased my past and gave me a future. Anything He's ever offered me in my life, my life has not just felt better, but it began to be better. And old things passed away. Behold, all things became new. And so for Jesus to say, hey, this is good for you. I wanna, uh, this is something I want you to have. The Holy Spirit is so important. Now, like I say, there were 380 that I, we talked about this last week that maybe I don't know why they didn't go. And so looking at in the Scripture why maybe some people did not go to where Jesus was going to give them something that would change the world and change their life, I wanted to know why. Why would they not go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit? And in the Scripture we talked about last week, there were some, I believe, that were not aware or did not have a knowledge of what exactly the Holy Spirit was. And so that's why I'm one of the reasons why I'm wanting to take this month and talk about the Holy Spirit and teach us, find out what the Word says about the Holy Spirit, because I don't want us to be unaware. I don't want us to be ignorant of something that God has for me. I mean, there's, there's so many times that 
I didn't get the benefits out of something because I just did not know that's what I did. Like, I remember when my girls would show me things my phone would do that I had no idea that it would do. And I'd be like, that totally changes the ball game. And so, like, when I found out that you could take your finger and just swish up, and your calculator and your flashlight and all that would just buy a swish, a simple action. I didn't have to go into apps and try to find that stuff. Man, it saved me seconds and minutes in my, I mean, just little things like that of, that I was not aware of. So now every time a new iPhone comes out, I go get on the, the um, hacks and tips sites online to find out what this phone does that I don't know that it does. I don't want anybody in here to be unaware of what the Holy Spirit is because there were some, it said in Acts 19, one, it says, it says, well, Apollos was at Corinth. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. They were so unaware that the Holy Spirit was involved and even available to be in their life that they were just missing out because they were not aware. Another reason why I believe some of the 380 did not go is because they, some people resist the Holy Spirit. It says it in Acts chapter 7, 51, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are, you are just like your fathers, you have always resisted the Holy Spirit. Now, that kind of is a chastising scripture, but I think some people, it, it brings into it, it says you're just like your fathers. I think some people are resistant of the Holy Spirit because we have been taught or we have witnessed or even been a part of things that maybe the generations before us dealing with the Holy Spirit, we, we've seen it and so we're, we resist. It. We don't know much. We, that's a spooky thing. That's weird. You know what I'm saying? And I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, my life to be all crazy. For years, I resisted salvation. My dad was a preacher. I resisted salvation because the way I saw my father serving the Lord was of such dedication and such sincere heart that my dad would. I remember waking up when I was a kid and it would be, you know, the house would be cold and we were very poor in those days. So my dad would get up and he would take the oven, open up the oven, turn the fire on in there and he would be kneeling on his knees from like 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock praying, you know, talking to God over the heat of that oven and he was so dedicated and so passionate about it. I was just like, man, that's amazing. But then I would see him because of his passions and things. I would see him let people walk all over him, I would think, or people abuse the time. Or, you know, he would say, and I thought, man, if that's what it takes to be a Christian, I don't know if I want that. I'm just going to be honest. So when I hit my high school years, I decided I didn't want anything to do with that because if that's what Christianity is, man, that's, that, I don't want that kind of life. Well, the truth of the matter is this. That was his relationship with God. The Bible says, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob. Each person, each generation has a relationship with God on an individual basis. And what I found out about this, my dad loves paying those sacrificial prices like Abraham did. Leaving everything and running after it. Never, but then here I come, Isaac, seeing most of the time in my life that it's like every time you hear God speak, you think you're fixing to have to sacrifice something. All right? You're going to get the one laid on the altar. So I had to, but then I realized the relationship with my father, that was his and God's and it was so powerful. But God had such a personal relationship with me that it was even better than what he In other words, just because of what we've seen in the past or what we've seen others, a lot of times we'll resist what the Holy Spirit has for us. And so, I want to just remove that. Then the last one we talked about was, there were people that I believe that some didn't go because they didn't value the Holy Spirit. They didn't, they didn't realize what He was going to do in their life. And the journey was too far, the price was too high, and they did not want to take it to get all that God had for them. I'm just going to be honest with you, I've been guilty of that at times. God, I knew God would have amazing blessings for me, but the price was a little high. But I've learned this. Any price I've ever paid to receive what God has for me, at first it might have stung. But as soon as I paid, I was telling Wade back there the other day when me and Wade met, it was in, you know what I'm saying, we didn't know each other at all. You know, when you meet strangers. And I said, man, the way the interaction went, if I would have known what God was doing in my life by giving me a friend like Wade, I would have paid 10 times, 100 times the price because God brought him into my life. I may not have recognized it at the moment, but I look back and say, man, I would have paid any price at that moment to have the relationship we have. You will never out 
sacrifice the blessing that God has for you in the beginning. Every time I've ever moved to a place where I felt like maybe it's a sacrifice, those guys, that he said, go to Jerusalem. I don't know how far the walk was, but they thought, man, that's a long way over there. If they would have just walked it, when they got there, they thought, I would have walked 100 miles further to get what God's given me. You will never be disappointed when you're willing to pay a price for something that God has for you. All right, so that's what we talked about last week. And this is, this is what we, we read. It said this. It said... Um, in John fourteen sixteen, it says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it, is neither, it, it neither sees Him or knows Him. But you know Him for He lives with you and He will be in you. Okay, so we started, we're talking about the Holy Spirit here. Now, we debunked, I went in to get, I went into the denominational thought pattern of because there are denominational thought patterns that say, you know, you get saved, and then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Two separate acts. Well, let me try to break that down a little bit. Jesus said right here, I'm going to send the counselor. And if anyone in here is saved, you need to understand, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Church terminology, we have made the statement that I've got Jesus in my heart. All right? That's not in the Scripture. Alright? What the Bible actually says is that God the Father is in heaven. And the Bible actually says that Jesus, when He ascended, He went to the right hand of the Father and He is interceding on our behalfs. He's standing and making account. He is being our lawyer, our advocate. When the enemy tries to come and accuse us for something that has been put under the blood, Jesus steps in and says, Hey, that's been paid for. I've done that. You want to know where Jesus is right now? Jesus is in heaven. But the good news is, He says, I'm coming back one day. So who is it in my heart? The one Jesus sent to us. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will be, it says it right here, it says, Jesus in His own word says, but you know Him. In other words, when you come into the knowledge of God, you give your heart to Jesus. Why we say we, we ask Him to be Lord. It says this. It says, He lives with you and He it will be in you. I have the Holy Spirit right now in me. Now, when I got saved, everything in my life got better. That means the Holy Spirit came into my heart. Jesus did not come into my heart. The Holy Spirit came into me. And when He came into me, that's just proof right there that He did not mess me up. He made my life better. And so people that are so afraid of the Holy Spirit that He's going to mess you up, if you're saved, He's been in you the whole time. Now, the question being this, He's in you. The next question is, how much of Him is in you? Well, there's as much of Him in you as you let be in you. The truth is this. I'm going to pull up my water like we did last week. Alright, and we're going to talk about it because I want you to see that we're going to recap. Because, see, you were never meant to live life without God. Anyone trying to live life without God is living life empty. That's why nothing can bring satisfaction. Nothing can bring... You might have some fun. The Bible says sin is fun for a season. But you'll never... Your life... You were never meant to be... You were never created to be separated from God. But sin did that to us. Adam and Eve, they started the ball rolling. And when they started the ball rolling, here we all show up all these years later and we're, we're born empty. But we were born to be full of the Spirit of God. And so that's why before you came to the knowledge of Christ, life just was not working for you. Because you were working a life that was never meant to be worked that way. So when you ask Jesus into your heart, He came in. Not the Holy Spirit, the presence, the Spirit of God. Now, people say, well, Craig, you've talked to... Did you know the Bible makes reference to the Spirit of God or the Holy Ghost over 800 times? Over 800 times the Bible has taught us about the Spirit of God. And so a lot of times, just because of what we've been shown or taught by our forefathers, we miss out on some of the greatest things of God. So this is what it is. When you got saved, you accepted the price, Jesus. The Holy Spirit came inside you. And so, boom, yes. The Holy Spirit came in. Now the thing about it is, my girls told me the other day, I picked them up from school and I was messing with them. And I was joking about something. And Lexi looked at me and said, Dad, you're so full of it. <laughs> and I thought, you know, what is the it you're talking about, kid? <laughs> the truth is, 
every one of us are full of it. Even before we got saved, you were full of it. You were full of the brokenness that happened to you before you can even remember. You were full of the mistakes and the regrets that you had before you came to the knowledge. You were full of it. And the thing about it was, you were so full of it, and when you're full of it, because the Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a he. The Holy Spirit is a he, has personality. He has fit. When you're full of anything that's an it, and you're not full of him, then what happens is, the full of, of it leaves you empty and leaves you broken. So the thing about it is when the Holy Spirit comes in, He begins to deal with the it. So how full of you of the Holy Spirit you are? You're as full of the Holy Spirit as there is room for Him to fill. But that's good news because look here in the Bible. We'll skip over to it. In the Bible, i got so many notes because I want to do it right today. Let me flip over to it. I want you to go to Romans, Joe. Um, let me tell you exactly which Romans I want you to go to. Where it says, the Bible says that there is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now, the first work of the Holy Spirit in your life, that He began, He began, He draw, the Bible says no one comes to the Father, but by the leading of the Holy Spirit. For you to even come to the knowledge of who Jesus was, um, the Holy Spirit was involved in your life working behind the scenes, moving things around, making things happen, bringing you to a place where you just were not going to be able to do it without God. Oh, from right further. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So what happens is when the Holy Spirit, He draws you in, and when you accept the price that Jesus paid, the Holy Spirit moves in. But He can only feel your life the air in the area that there is to be filled. And the thing about it is, the minute He gets in, He begins to work on you to remove anything in you that you were full of. Any anger, any bitterness, any hurt, any brokenness. His work begins. The Bible says there is righteousness. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is He moves in and He starts trying to move out everything that shouldn't have been in there because you were never designed to be full of it. You were designed to be full of Him. You were made to be full of Him. But the problem with it is because most of us go through our lives not aware of what He's wanting and the working that He's doing, we go through life full of it. And the thing about being full of it, just like you saw this stuff absorb the water that we poured in, the stuff on the inside of us begins to absorb the Spirit and the work of God in us. So what the Holy Spirit are doing is trying to get it out. Trying to get it out because you can be saved and be so full of bitterness that the Spirit has no room to work in your life. You can be so saved and be so full of disappointment and hurt and brokenness that it begins, all that begins to consume the work that God is doing. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is He comes in and He brings righteousness. You say, well, what is righteousness? Well, righteousness is not without sin. Righteousness is having right standing before the Lord. And so righteousness is healing. Righteousness is deliverance. Righteousness is forgiveness. Righteousness is you, God doing what He's doing in your life to get you to where you can stand right before the Lord without any shame, without any guilt, without any uh, blockage or anything. So Holy Spirit starts trying to work righteousness because the thing about it is God wants you to be like this. Not full of anything but the presence of God. The Spirit of God. Because, see, the first thing He does come and starts removing all... That's why when you get saved, all of a sudden you'll feel the Holy Spirit leading you to, well, maybe I shouldn't be watching this anymore. Or, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. Maybe I shouldn't be going here anymore. Maybe I shouldn't be acting like this anymore. The first work of the Holy Spirit in your life is when you start feeling this stuff that maybe I shouldn't be, this conscious begins to awaken what you used to could do before the knowledge of God. No longer can you do anymore because now that you have this, the Spirit on the inside of you, He's working. The Bible says for it's, it's impossible for nothing is impossible for God. You can't have the Holy Spirit in you and Him not be doing something. He's going to always, it's impossible for Him to do nothing. He just can't sit in the little space you gave Him and alright, click, you got your ticket to heaven and you be full of joy and peace and all that. No, He starts with righteousness. He starts working on you, getting everything out of you like we talked about, not to get sin out, 
But he looks at you, and the Bible says God knows your end from your beginning. He tries to get everything out of you that would keep you from being everything that God made you to be. So he has a way to be able to see down in the future and say, all right, you're doing this right here right now. But if you continue to do this right here right now, you will not be able to be what I've called you to be. So I'm the Holy Spirit saying you need to lay this down. You need to give this up. You need to lay this before the Lord because if you'll lay it down, God knows it will move you to your future. But it will not, if you choose to hold on to these things, it will keep you in your now and cause you constantly to be moving back towards your past. So the righteousness, God's always working the Holy Spirit so you know that that the Holy Spirit is in you when you come into a situation and you feel like maybe I shouldn't or maybe man I'm sorry I, I gotta be honest I've talked to my wife I got the most beautiful wife you have ever seen greatest woman of God I've ever known but can you believe that there's times I actually speak mean to her I mean I tell you there's times that I treat her ways that she doesn't deserve to be treated and, there, and the thing about it when I do it I feel like oh, man I shouldn't have done that and that's not God judging me. It's not Him thumping me on the head. What He's doing is cricket. That will hurt what your life can be. And so when I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, man, it's His right to work on me. And if I allow Him to do it, check this out, it will bring about the next part of that, peace. You will get a life of peace. You find somebody living in a life with no righteousness, you'll find them living in a life with no peace. Because where there is no righteousness, you will not have peace. But when you have peace of the Holy Spirit, you can walk through storms. We talked about stories, we won't get into it last week, that the Holy Spirit, you've seen people walk through things that they shouldn't be able to walk through, but they walk through it. Like, man, I sit there and watch them, like, how do they do that? It's because they're full of the Holy Spirit. Alright? But then there is, then just stop with peace. Then it moves into joy. And the Bible says that... Um, there's writing to peace and joy. You find people that are just happy in this life. I've got to be honest with you. Without the Holy Spirit, there's not a whole lot to be happy about. As a matter of they did a survey. It took 100 people over a 10-year plan to figure out how much of their time was everything good and right according to their perception of what right should be in their life. And only 10% of the time out of 10 years for 100 people would they say everything is good in my life right now. So that means 90% of your life, you're going to be miserable if everything has to line up and be right. But that's not what God intended you to live. He intended you to live happy, full of joy all your life, no matter what you walk through and what you go through. And it doesn't come from the outside, it comes from the inside. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, what the Bible says is, the Bible says He brings in righteousness. Well, at first, when you get saved, you may not have a whole lot of Holy Spirit in you because you're so full of everything else. Alright? And as He begins to do His work, He begins to empty out some of the full of it and you start being full of Him. So you begin to get righteous. You begin to be able to live and do things that you never could. You could stop doing things that you couldn't stop doing before. You can start being things that you couldn't be before because the Holy Spirit... The Bible says, I mean, I, I've met so many people that try to do right and be right on their own. But the Bible says that, it says this, it says that it's not by might nor by power, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. The Holy Spirit gives you the ability to do life the way you know life should be. Now, we all know what life should be. The problem is most of us don't have that life. And it's because we're full of it, not full of Him. When we get full of Him, it automatically just begins to happen. And so what He does, He begins to work this stuff out. And the thing about it is He works this stuff out. He gets us to a point where we'll be full of Him. Because once you get joy, you need to understand the next level. We didn't talk about it last week, but it says this. There's righteousness, there's peace, there's joy. You can be happy. You can have joy in your life. But then it says this. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You ever met those people that are just so strong in life that they walk through life and life don't control them, but they control life? You will find those people being so full of the Holy Spirit that they're so strong that a storm can't blow them over, that the quakes can't knock them down, that they, they can just walk through life, a victorious Christian life. And it's not because of their might or their power, but it's because of the, of the Spirit of God. So God's plan for you is to constantly be working on you to get all of this out so you can have all of Him in. Now, i got to be honest with you. Every day you will get up and you will deal with this. Every day you will get up and deal with letting the Holy Spirit work this stuff out to get Him in. 
And every day he gets a little bit out, the more of him you have. The problem with it is, at that point, we talked about it last week, that when he's in you, the Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Right, the Holy Spirit's in you. When he gets in you, the problem is, everybody you come in contact with every single day, you are pouring into them. And the truth is this. Not only are you pouring into them, they're pouring into you. That's why it's so important to be careful who you run with. So I can, be, I can get up and start my day. Like when you walk out of here today, just by you being in the presence of God today, when you walk out of here, not, no matter what I say, what I do, you will walk out of here fuller of the Holy Spirit than you did when you came in. Because that's where you get filled up. You get filled up by the Holy Spirit by being in the presence of God. The, and the Bible says where two or three are gathered. That's why I can't put church out of my life. Because if I can't get filled up anywhere else, I can come into where two or three are gathered together in His name. There He is in the midst of them. You come into the encounter with God and God is pouring Himself into you. Alright? He's pouring Himself into you because He knows. He knows you're not going to be able to live a righteous life without Him. He knows you're not going to have peace without Him. He knows you're not going to have joy without Him. And you're not going to have strength without Him. And so you've got to have Him. And so if you can't get to Him any other time, church is the easiest place to get to Him. Alright? So that's why church will always be a part of my life. And that's why we do multiple services, because I've got to be honest with you, I usually fill my car up on Monday, but by Wednesday it's out of gas. And that's why Wednesday nights are important. And I've got to be honest with you, there, there are times I just need, I've got to stay full, because I've got to be honest with you, the, more, the less filling you do, the less happy you are. Now, the best place to see this in the Scripture, and I'm going to speed this stuff up, is when the woman with the issue of the woman at the well. When Jesus had the encounter with the woman at the well, we preached so many times that that, I mean, so many people have preached that that lady was a sinner, and Jesus loved sinners so much, He was willing to go out of His way to get to her. I don't believe she was a sinner. I, when I read the story, what I see there is she said that, you know, she was from the family of Jacob. She came from a Christian family. All right, it says also that the Samaritans worship in the mountains, and the Jews worship in the... Um, synagogue, she, so she was a church girl. She'd been to the mountains and worshipped. And so, thing about it was, Jesus encountered her and found out that, all right, here you are. And he said this, he, when he first showed up, he says, hey, give me a drink. And she says, what are you asking me that? You're a Jew and I'm a, I'm a um, Samaritan. So that lets me know, first thing Jesus goes and tasks to tackle is, is racial issues, because that was a major racial thing. You cannot be full of the Spirit of God and hate anybody, or think you're better than anybody, or have any racial issues or prejudices in your life, because that will be the junk that he's got to get out. And so, first thing he did that, but then she said this, is you don't got a bucket. You think Jesus showed up somewhere not needing, not having what he needed? No, nah, if he needed a bucket, he'd have came, but he'd have brought his bucket. He had 12 people that would have got a bucket for him. They were actually going out right then. The Bible said to get burgers for him. It was like what he was, he'd bring it up point. That's what he said. He said, where's your husband? And she says, I'm not married. And he said, you're right to say that because you've been married five times and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And he didn't do that to condemn you. Jesus did. The Bible says, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. So he wasn't trying to say, ooh, you're a sinner. I believe what he was saying was this, because then he said this. He said, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. See, he recognized what she was doing. She was coming to the well to get a drink because she was thirsty. Now, I believe she was a Christian. I mean, I believe she was a God follower. She worshipped, it said, in the, in the hills, in the mountains. So I believe she... But you can be saved and be empty. And she was getting up every day, walking through life, trying to make life happen on her own might. She was living by might. She was living by power. But she was not living by the Spirit of God. So she was going through life and going through the motions. I believe saved, but empty. And what happens when somebody goes through life saved but empty? You find divorce in the church. You find addiction in the church. You find offense in the church. You find bitterness in the church. There are Christians in this church that are saved, but you're empty. You believe in God, but life is not working for you because you're trying to work life however you can. Not saying with bad intentions and not saying in sin. Saying you're doing whatever you can do to do whatever you got to do to try to keep life moving. And she was keeping because you got to think about it. A woman in those days, if she would have been married the first time, more than likely 
I mean, odds are, statistics in the Bible didn't say she was barren. She had kids. And so she was trying to keep these kids going. And in the midst of living life on empty, saved, believing in God, she found herself brokenhearted. She found herself, her dreams shattered because she didn't get married to a guy not thinking this is not going to last. She would have got married to a guy thinking that this is my future. This is my destiny. We'll build a life together. And somehow, in the process of trying to live life empty, she ended up broken. And so I know this. I've been in church at times trying to live life through my flesh, trying to live life doing what I know to do, but I was empty. And that's how we can get hurt, bothered, harmed, offended in churches because you were never meant to live life empty. But Jesus recognized this in her. He said, you know, you're right. You've been trying to figure out a way to fill yourself up with relationships or or responsibilities or, or life doing this, but you're still empty. But he said, if you know who I was. So the secret, number one, we didn't get to talk about this like, how do I, how if I'm saved but I'm empty, if I'm saved and I'm, I'm still broken and I can't make life work and my family's not making it and my job's not making it and my finances aren't making it, how do I make it? Well, first of all, it comes with an encounter with God. You find somebody, a Christian, that's asked Jesus to forgive them for their sins, but they're not having encounters with God. They're not getting to know who God is. They're not getting to know Jesus. You're going to find a Christian that's empty. And Christians that are saved can still be addicted, can still be hurt, can still be broken, can still... But the thing about it is, you cannot find a full Christian that way. You cannot find her. So Jesus said this. He came and said, you know, here you are. Yeah, you know, I, I, he, didn't, he never called her a sinner. He never did. And he never said your sins are forgiven, which he's done to other people. What he told her was this. He said, if you knew who I was, in other words, if you would give me time, to get to know who I am. Then what will happen is, he said this, I will put a river of living water on the inside of you and you will never thirst again. What he said was this, he gave us the secret to how to be full of the Holy Spirit. This is what he said. He said, the time you put into getting to know Him, that time you put into it, He uses that time to put into you the Spirit of God. And the truth is this. Every day you get up, everyone you come in contact with, Jesus said this, when the woman touched him, he said, oh, who touched me? For my virtue flowed out. Everybody you come in contact with every day, you're pouring what's on the inside of you out. If you're full of bitterness... I'm telling you, you're pouring bitterness out. If you're full of hate, you're pouring hate out. If you're full of prejudice, you're pouring prejudice. But if you're full of the Spirit of God, you're pouring the Spirit of God out. The thing about it is this. At the end of the day, and I'm telling you the truth, it's at the end of my day every day. At the end of my day, I find myself empty. So you know what I better do before the next day starts? I better get myself to a place where I'm in the presence of God, letting Him pour back into me, making my... So in the morning when I get before the Lord and I'm saying, God, here I am. Come meet me. Let me know who you are. All of a sudden, He begins to fill my tap back up. And before my day even begins, I have the power to live righteous. I have the ability to walk with peace. I find myself full of joy and having the strength to look at my situation and know that it doesn't matter what it looks like, it's going to end up the way God said it. I fled, but so many Christians are walking around empty. But so God didn't intend for you to walk around. If, you, if the only time you ever had the Spirit of God put in you was at your point of salvation, you're empty. You're, you're, you're going from relationship to relationship, job to job, church to church. You're walking around trying to get that drink you're still wanting, that drink you're still longing for. But if you will learn that every time you get to know Him, he said, if you only knew who I was. Every moment you spend getting to know Him better, every moment you spend in the Word, reading it, your tank is filling. Every moment you spend in worship, your tank is filling. Every moment you spend in a church service, your tank is filling. Every moment you spend praying and worshiping, your tank is filling. And the thing about it is, when you get full, you will have what you need to do what you need to do. Because it is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And so, it will, the Bible says, even quicken your mortal body. And so the thing about it is this. We, we were never meant to live empty. His Spirit is there available. Now, we talked about this last week. That's, that, that's the denomination. That is the Holy Spirit, are you full of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's up to you. 
Is the Holy Spirit in you? Absolutely. If you're saved, if you've asked Jesus to forgive you for your sin, if you've accepted him as Lord, you believe he died and raised, the Holy Spirit is in you. Now, I can't tell you how much of him is in there or how much of you is full, but I can tell you this, I'll know by the way you act. But then we talked about this, and I'll read it to you. See, so and you want him full because he comforts you. We talked about last week. He counsels you. He convicts you. He 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 leads you. He guides you. But then this read this scripture here. It says this. It says in Acts one four and five. It says for one occasion while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command: Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and all there. Now I'll tell you this. You need to be full of the Holy Spirit for you. But if you want God to use you at the level that God can use you, and this is where we get a little crazy, because a lot of times people have burnt this bridge in weird ways. You can be full of the Holy Spirit and you can get through life. I gotta, if you're getting through life empty, you're miserable. I know a lot of miserable Christians. A lot of addicted, broken, hurt. Marriages still divorcing in church. Christians still going to jail on the weekend. You know, all that stuff. But it's because of what it is, is Christians living empty. But when you learn to connect with Jesus every day, Get into the presence of God. He'll fill you up. And then you'll have the benefits of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. Alright, but then, this is what the Bible says. He'll begin to get all that junk that's not in there out. He'll bring righteousness, then peace, then joy, and the Holy Spirit. But then the Bible says this. That's good. But there's more. There's more. It said this. It said that go to Jerusalem because John baptized with water. But I want to send the Holy Spirit to not just be in you, but I want him to baptize you. Now, what does baptism mean? Baptism, the word means immersed, not sprinkled. A lot of Christians get filled with the Holy Spirit, and because of, of history and things, they, they want a little sprinkling of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? So they'll get in a church service, and boom, they'll get tickled, or they'll get in service and laugh, or, you know, get goosebumps and all that. And, I mean, that stuff's good. If you want to live life this way. But this is the best life can be. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, which is not a bad life, a lot better than what I had before. But the Bible says this, if you want me to use you to do great things that you can't do, there's going to take something else. He's talking about saying, and what I'm, going to, I'm not going to fill you, but I'm going to immerse you. And that is the... See, the Holy Spirit is still in it, but now... It's in the Holy Spirit. Saying that to say, we talked about it last week, how each person, you know, the, the terminology, aura or magnetic field, each person has a presence. When you walk into a room, you have a presence that even they can judge it with magnetic meters and stuff that is surrounding you. Now that's yours. And you can be full of the Holy Spirit and that still be yours. But when you understand that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, what God does now is He don't just get in you He's on you. And so, instead of me walking into the room, when I walk into the room, He does too. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is He don't just get the inside, He also gets the outside. And when He gets the outside, this is what happens. The Bible says they receive power when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? That means this, alright, trying to break it down. There are many a days that I would get up in the mornings, and I would get before the Lord and I would want God to fill me for me. But then I began to grow maturely in my spiritual life and realize that what God is doing in me is not just for me because now I got a little girl and I got a wife and I got family that I need that the Spirit of God that's in me to affect them. And see, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it said there, gives me the ability, the power 
to be a witness, to affect not just what's going on in me, not just getting me living right, me having peace, and me having joy, and me having strength. Now, the Holy Spirit can come into my life at a level that it affects them. It becomes my witness. Because I've told people about the Lord over and over again at times, it seemed like it would bounce off them, like me throwing rocks at a wall. But then, I understood the process of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I could say the wrong words at the wrong time, and God would take those words and change a heart. Because now He's not just in me, I'm in Him. And so the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't a weird thing. What it is, is it's just you simply getting in the presence of God, not for you. I got to tell you, I go before the Lord every day. And I pray for me and mine, but I mean me and who I am, but I also pray, God, I ask you, to baptize me in the Holy Spirit at such a level that today when I interact with my little girls, they hear the love of the Father. Not a dad that can mess their life up. You know that? I ask you to cause the change in me to be to where I can be a husband like you are to the church. That my wife will can't live without me being who I am. I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon me. To not just change the inside of me, but for me to change the world around me. And that's why I believe He's a go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. It's not just going to come in you, but it's going to come on you. And so I want to break this down just based on what that on you means. That on you means this. There's a difference when I come before the Lord in the mornings and I'm trying to get in His presence for me and I feel it and I'm just going to speak on my own experience. I feel it in me at times. I'll come before the Lord and I'll be there and I'll feel Him filling me up and He'll be giving me peace over that thing I struggled with in my dreams or in my thoughts all night long and He'll settle all my stuff down and there have been times once I get to where I am with Him I get up and walk out. But then there are times when I understand what I'm doing is going to take more than just me. For me to be the husband that I need to be, it's going to take more than just me. For me to, and so what I do is I get into a place and I stay there long enough. You know what I'm saying? To be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to throw this at you. The Bible says they went there and they waited for 10 days. They had to wait 10 days. That's a, that's a lot, I'm sure... You know, some of them thought after five, man, this is a waste of time. I, I need to get on with my day. But I've learned this. And when I get in and I stay long enough, once I'm full and he's done what he's wanting to do in me, then what he get, begins to do, he begins to pour over me. And as he pours over me, he immerses me in his spirit. If you're just coming before the Lord and getting the prayer to, God, to get full, that's okay. But I'm telling you, there's more. Jesus told them there's more. And so you get into the presence of God. So why do some people come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night? Why do some people stay at the altars till the last prayer? Well, because they're saying, God, I want more of you. And they're wanting to make a bigger difference in this world. i got to be honest with you. Than the ones that show up late and leave early. And I'm not preaching on church. I'm preaching on... I, I understand now that the long... Once I'm full, what happens is the longer... If I get into the presence of God first to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I come up. But then if I stay there, He keeps pouring. He didn't stop. And He'll begin to flow over me and fill or baptize me. Now the thing about it is this, and I'm going to throw this at you. All right? If I get baptized in the Holy Spirit every morning, I stay there until not only does He fill me, but He pours over me the truth is this, as I get up the next, and get up out of there and walk out of there, eventually walking through the day after being baptized in the Holy Spirit and the Prince of God, I begin to dry out. If I dumped you in that baptism pool back there, you would come out, you'd walk around, and within an hour, two hours, three hours, you would dry off. And the thing about it is, so, is I don't believe being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a one-time event. I believe it's my will to get it done every day. If I want to be effective in my world, it needs to happen every day. And I have to go in there until I feel God begin to come, not just on the inside, but on the outside. And when He becomes, when He begins to fill my life with the prayer, I'm totally immersed in Him. When I walk out of there, like Peter, James, and John, when they walked past somebody, their shadow fell on them. They were healed. The power of God now wasn't just on the inside of them to heal, set free, deliver. But it's on the outside of them to the people that they come in contact with. It it changes their life. And my wife can tell you, I know the days that Cricket's been in the Lord, presence of the Lord and when he hadn't. And it's not because I would even talk different or walk different. It's honestly because the presence of God walks into a room with me. And there are days that he doesn't. Now, 
See, now this is where it gets crazy because there are, when the Holy Spirit baptizes people, there gets, begins to be odd things to happen. I say odd things. The church has made them odd. But this is the truth. Can I have... Yeah, I've got a few more minutes. The, the Bible says when He comes that He's going to bring gifts. Now, gifts are always a good thing. I love getting gifts. How many of you guys like getting gifts? Right? I even like to get the gifts my girls go out in my workshop and make for me. Those are my favorite gifts because i got a drawer in my house full of some what you would look at and say, junk. But they're super boring. Like when you're, my girls went out, we just sided a house and they went in there and found the scraps of my siding. They took them, flipped them over and they drew portraits of our family on the back side of each one of those sidings. They wrapped them up and gave them to me for my birthday. And it was portraits of our family on pieces of trash but them pieces of trash are invaluable to me now. And so, what I'm saying is this. I love any gift that someone has for me. The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes and you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, He brings along with some gifts. Now, the purpose of this, and I'm going to really get into the gifts next week, but I want to tackle the one that everybody has a problem with right off first. Is that okay with you guys today? The speaking in tongues. Because... I want you to go right at the beginning that I don't want to hold that to the end and you think, well, he's building us up on this Holy Spirit thing and when it gets to the end, he's going to throw this weird factor at me. Let's just go after the weird one first, okay? Do I believe in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues? I do. Because in Acts chapter 2, it says this, and they received power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it says this, they begin to speak in other tongues. Now, the problem with tongues is this. A lot of people don't understand what tongues are and you've probably been in the presence of tongues and it was weird to you and it was odd to you and, and like you thought, man, ooh, I remember when Jennifer, she was Southern Baptist, when we were dating, she went to church with me and in the church there, they started speaking in tongues and you just watched her ears mark up like, alright, this is getting weird now. thing about it was, she didn't resist it. She just kept coming. She didn't have to participate in it. But what happened was eventually she found herself in the place where she was being immersed in the Holy Spirit. And then all of a sudden she began to do it in herself. And then she realized, I'm not really that weird. But, so what? It's a gift. Right? I, want to make, I want to break down some things about the speaking in tongues real quick. that be okay with you guys? All right, number one, it is real. Now, what you've got to understand is if it's in the Bible, it's the truth. The problem is most people misinterpret what it is. A lot of people don't understand there is more than one kind of tongues. In the book of 1 Corinthians 14, it uses the word tongues several times through there. But the thing about that is this. It's talking about different things. There are actually four different tongues in the Bible. Now, the reason why it uses the same word for us because it was translated out of the Hebrew. And there were, there were words out of the Hebrew and Greek that we don't have in the English language. And so they just use the same. But so, number one, when the Holy Spirit comes, He brings gifts. There's prophecy. There's words of knowledge. We'll get into that stuff tomorrow, but we're going to talk about the tongues, first of all. First thing about tongues is this. There is a such thing as called a miracle of tongues. Now, how many of you guys would believe, could raise your hand and say that you believe in the miracle of healing? You've witnessed it either in your life or someone else's life, and you believe God can do that. Okay, well, there is a, if you have a problem with that, you can understand that um, God does miracles, even beyond what you can understand sometimes. All right, there is a miracle of tongues. Now, what the miracle of tongues is, that is when someone speaks in an unknown language by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and that, what that happens is they do something they couldn't do. For example, in the book of Acts chapter 2, that was the miracle of tongues. Because these guys were speaking, it says, in an unknown tongue, but the people outside were hearing them speak in their own language. Miracle of tongues is a, is a miracle that God can do. And it can be, you know, it, it will be taken. And you, I've known stories after missionaries and all kind of things that would say, you know, I was praying in tongues in a service. And somebody in that service, but how did you know my language? You were speaking perfect Spanish or perfect French. There's a miracle of tongues. And the miracle of tongues is this. When someone is speaking in tongues and someone can interpret it in a, in a language of men. Now, I've got to be honest with you, that one's never happened to me. But neither have I never been healed from cancer. But I know people who have. And I believe that it is a gift of God. And so, the Bible makes reference to the miracle of tongues. And in 1 Corinthians 14, it talks about one, the miracle of tongues. Now, there's also 
a thing called the gift of tongues. Now, the gift of tongues, it's got a little bit more... Um, it takes a little bit more qualification to be the gift than a miracle. A miracle is when somebody does it and without knowledge of an English language or their language, someone else understands it in their own language. Okay? So, now you've got to understand this. When the, in Acts chapter 2 when it happened, the, the people sat back and said, these dudes are drunk. It says that they, were, they thought they were crazy and they thought they were perplexed. Meaning they can't believe, they can't fathom what's going on. That's still what's going on with the church today. A lot of people don't understand miracles of God, and so they're just perplexed by it, so they want anything to do with it. And they try to find some kind of rationalized reason on that's flesh, that's emotionalism. No, the God can do a miracle whenever He wants to. He can actually walk on water or cause vats to fill up with oil. I mean, God's a miracle-working God. You don't need to understand the miracle of tongues to believe that God can do miracles. The gift of tongues is different. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He brings gifts with Him. There's the gift of prophecy, gift of knowledge. We're going to go into the gifts next week. But the gift of tongues is this. It says this. He'll give one the gift of tongues. It says, but it's a gift of tongues. And you know it's a gift of tongues. But it has to have the interpretation. So if you've ever been in one of those charismatic Pentecostal services, which by the way, the word Pentecostal is not freaky weird. It simply means 10 plus 40 which means 50 days after Jesus had rose, because that's when the day of Pentecost, it was 50 days after. That's all it means. We try to make a lot of weird stuff out of numbers and dates, but it was 50 days after Jesus had risen. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later. All right, so here the gift of tongues is this. You'll be sitting in a service and someone will feel a, a word just rise up in them that uh, it's it's a it's, and they, they can't contain it. It's just like the gift of prophecy. When you if you get a good prophecy, you you get a word and you just can't keep it shut up inside. You got you know it's God, so you you allow yourself saying the gift of tongues. Somebody stands up and s- says out some what sounds like job at a job stuff, but then someone else in the room stands up and they give an interpretation. Thus saith the Lord. That's the gift of tongues. Now that one happens in the church. And this is what the Bible says, that these, these were for the unbeliever. Why, why does God do miracles? For the unbelievers, to see the witness. These are what God uses to help change hearts. But now, those aren't the only two tongues it talks about in 1 Corinthians 14. There is another one, and it is the tongues of a personal prayer life. Now, the personal prayer life of a believer that is filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized with the Holy Spirit, there is a what they call a prayer language. Now, let me draw just a minute into this if I can. The personal prayer language, because this is what gets crazy. The Bible says, number one, it's not for me to do in the church because it causes confusion. Because if it's not a miracle and it's not the gift with an interpretation, then it's me simply praying in a heavenly language that the Bible, the Father says He gave me. Uh, the, the actual word, heavenly language, um, the Bible says in, uh, in uh, it says, For I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, I have that in my life. I, I have the gift of a personal prayer language that is a heavenly language is where the Bible says my spirit talks to God and my mind does not understand it. Now, it's not gibberish because it sounds like gibberish a lot of times when, when I'm praying in tongues, but it's not for you to hear me do it anyway. As a matter of fact, it says it's better that if I come into the church, I speak five words of understandable language than me speaking hundreds in my heavenly language because my personal prayer life in my speaking in tongues is not for you at all. What it says is for me. And the Bible says what Paul said does, it edifies me, it builds me up. Let me try to explain it the best way I can. Number one, my prayer life, the reason why I do it is because I'm a firm believer in that it's a heavenly language. Now, one of the ways I believe... Well, first of all, I, let me break down the three, mid, three major myths of the praying in tongues that most people stumble on. Number one, the myth is you can't control it. If it's a personal prayer language, people get taught that they can't control it. That's not true. Can you control your praying in English? I can choose when I pray in English. I don't lay in bed and all of a sudden shoot up out of the sky and I'm just praying that in. I choose to pray. As a matter of fact, I have to make the choice to pray. Jesus tells me to pray. As a matter of fact, He said do it every day. Alright? Because He said, give me this day my daily bread. Number one myth about the Holy Spirit is you can't control it. 
I'm going to have total control of whether or not I pray in my heavenly language. I choose when, how, why. Number two myth about praying in tongues is you have to feel it before you do it. Some people are like, oh, I don't feel it happen. They'll come up to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and receive the evidence of the Holy Spirit. They, they don't feel it, so they don't do it. How many times, how many guys wake up in the morning and feel like going and praying? I would say probably five days out of the week, I don't feel like getting out of bed early and going to pray. But it doesn't keep me from doing it. It's not a feeling. To pray in tongues, I don't have to have a feeling come on me. I don't start shaking and goosebumps bubbling. It's my personal prayer language, okay? I choose to do it. I don't have to feel it. And then, see now, what happens is this. A lot of times, because of our English language, the way it's written, the Bible says, and they began to speak in other tongues. Began is a verb. A lot of times, because we only have two tenses in our English language, going back to school here, we either have a, ten- we either have a passive or an active verb. Passive verb is somebody doing something to me. Like if, if you walk up and Vashta hit me, all right, I was involved in it, but I didn't have any control over it. Does that make sense? That's a passive verb. In the English language, we have... And then we have another word, active, that, and I hit her back. Right? That was me doing it back. Right? So that, that's active back. But see, with, with our English language, we believe that... All right, so the Holy, if they began to speak in all tongues with the understanding of a verb, either the Holy Spirit had to do it to them, or they were doing it themselves and God wasn't involved in it. Does that make sense? But in the Greek language, which where this was actually written in, they have a different kind. They have what they call a middle verb. And their middle verb, we have active, we have passive, but the Greek language has a verb called a participating verb. And what that means is this. What that means is, in other words, they were in the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came out and made them speak in tongues. That's active or passive. In other words, they were in the room, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began to speak. They were doing it all on their own without any help of the Holy Spirit. But the Greek language has the bad, and it says this. They were in the other room, the Holy Spirit came in, and they began to actively participate in the Holy Spirit flowing, and they began to pray in other tongues with the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The reason why a lot of times we can't understand that is because we don't have the same verbiage that this was actually written in, if they didn't want to be there, they wouldn't have been there. 380 people proved that. But they were participating in. When I participate in something, that means I have an active role in it. Alright, so breaking down my personal prayer language is something that I have an active role. It's not all my flesh and emotionalism. It's not the Holy Spirit taking control. But it's me yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me and participating with Him to use something that I believe is powerful in my life. You say, well, Cricket, what is the tongue language? Your mind don't understand it, but let me throw this for you. Just go crazy with you a minute, okay? It says, the um, Bible says that God will come to the garden in the eve- cool of the day and walk and talk with Adam every day. What language do you suppose they talk? We're Americans, so we all think he talked English. All right? Some people would say, oh, they spoke Hebrew. No, the Hebrew nation was not birthed until Genesis chapter 12. Okay? Genesis chapter 12, the Hebrew Abraham and the Hebrew nation was birthed and started, so I don't believe it was Hebrew. What language was This is just me. I can't... I'm, not, I'm just going to give you what I believe about it. I believe they spoke in a heavenly language. I'm just letting you know that's what I believe. Because this, when I find it again here in Genesis chapter 11, before the Hebrew language shows up on the scene, in Hebrews 11 verse 1 it says this, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Okay? Now let me read on down to you this. And in verse 1105 it says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one. And they, have, and they all have one language. And this is what they began to do. Now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us, if you have a problem with the Trinity of God, God said, let us, there's Trinity right there again, it said, let us go down and confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And then, you know the story, he came down and he scattered their language. Now, let me bring you back to this. There was a prophecy in Zephaniah 3 verse 9, it said this, For then I will restore to the people's a pure language that they may all that that they all may 
call on the name of the Lord to serve Him in one accord. You can always tell when the Bible's talking about the spiritual language when two things are present. One is from God. They say He's going to give it restore to them. Restore, meaning give it back because it wasn't there. Alright, so, and then it's this. There takes unity in one accord. In Acts chapter 2, they were all in one accord before they began to speak in another, before it was restored. Saying that to say this, um, it's a heavenly language. I believe it's a heavenly language. I don't understand it, but the Bible says it's my spirit talking to God's spirit. And there are a lot of times I don't, I, 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 you know what I'm saying, I want to commune with God without all the messed up stuff in my head. Number two, this is why I speak in tongues. I believe the Bible teaches the principle that the devil understands um, terminology of man. The devil understands the language of man. Now, we I teach this, and I teach it a lot of times, and a lot of people argue with me, but this is what the Bible says. How many of you guys believe you can pray in your mind? Raise your hand. Okay, let me throw this at you real quick. When Jesus, they said, the disciples came to Jesus, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray... Read it, Luke 11. When you pray, first thing he says is, say. Not think. Not ponder. But say. Alright? So, when you're praying and you're saying, you say, well, Cricket, I pray in my mind all the time. Let me just throw this at you. In the book of James, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says they were praying and they were praying amiss and their prayers weren't answered. When, I, when the Lord started dealing with me that I need to speak my prayers... Use my voice and speak my prayers. I started seeing more prayers answered in my life than I ever saw before. So, if you want to pray and think, you can. Or if you want to think and pray, that that's you. But I've decided that the Bible says that my tongue is a rudder of my life, and I can use it to just communicate, or I can use it to prophesy. And when I pray, I'm communing with God. So I pray out loud. All right, in English. Now, the devil understands the language of man. The Bible proves that in the book of Daniel. Because the Bible says Daniel went before the Lord three times a day praying. And it says he was praying for something for 21 days. And the Bible says this, At the 21st day an angel appeared before the Lord and he came to him and said, Daniel, we heard your prayer. So it had to be said as my understanding. I ain't never heard a thought. But he said, we heard your prayer. And it says, but so did the enemy. And so we have been warring in the heavenlies. And we have just won. And it says, we brought your answer. So, what, what, am I, every time I pray, am I giving the devil an area to fight me with? That's where I love speaking and praying in my heavenly language. Because the way I look at it, it's a secret language. Now, if you go back and research World War II, that we were losing the war. We were losing the war. Every time we would send a communication over the airwaves, they were here, the enemy was hearing it, and they were setting up tactics to try to stop it. So what the United States government did, they went and found 21 Navajo Indians. And they tell, and if you've ever seen the movie Wind Talkers, the 21 Navajo Indians, it was only a language that only the Navajo Indians, so it was not taught anywhere in the world. So that they did, they took these 21 Navajo Indians and they were called Wind Talkers. And so what they would do, they scattered them all over the, the battlefields. And what they did is when we sent a transmission, they would send the, the, the orders in Navajo. And there would be another Indian on the other side that would hear, take it, and transfer it back to English. And that was the turn of the war for the United States in World War II is because we started speaking in a secret warfare language.